In 2007, A.J. Jacobs was an editor for Esquire magazine. At the time, he wrote a book titled, The Year of Living Biblically. Jacobs was a self-professed agnostic, and he said the following regarding his motivation. He said, a lot of people wondered why uh, me, an agnostic, would write a book on living biblically. And uh, here's what he said. He said, well, he said, I grew up in a very secular home. Uh, He said, I'm officially Jewish. I love his statement. He said, but I'm Jewish in kind of the same way that Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. He said, I always assumed uh, that religion would just wither away and we'd live in a neo-enlightenment world. I was, of course, spectacularly wrong. Uh, So was I missing something essential to being a human being? Or was half the world uh, deluded? Now, I've heard the book. I remember when that came out. I remember some press about it. But I've never actually read the book. And so I uh, went and looked at a little excerpt of the book. And so here was his own description. He said, The year of living biblically is about my quest to live the ultimate biblical life. To follow every single rule in the Bible as literally as possible. He said, I obey the famous ones. The Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor. Be fruitful and multiply. He said, but also the hundreds of often ignored ones. Uh, Do not wear clothes of mixed fibers. Do not shave your beard. Stone adulterers. Now, the last one, I have to admit, piqued my interest. And so I had to read a little excerpt about what actually happened there. Uh, So here's an exchange from an interview he did for a magazine when the book uh, first came out. The interview asked him, they said, here's a question. Uh, What was the hardest for you to actually obey? He said, well, there were two types of rules that were hardest for me. Uh, First, they were avoiding the sins that we commit every day. No lying, no gossiping, no coveting. He said, I'm a journalist in New York. That's 70% of my job. Uh, He said the second type of rules were those that if you obey them in modern American culture will get you into trouble. For example, uh, the Old Testament rule that you should stone adulterers. He said, luckily, I was, in fact, able to stone one adulterer. He said, um, uh, so one day I was, the Old Testament, uh, was living this out, uh, was in the park, dressed in my biblical garb, so white clothes, a beard, sandals, and a walking stick. And he said, a man came up to me and asked me, why are you dressed so strangely? He seemed hostile right from the start, so I explained to him uh, what my project was, and he said, well, I'm an adulterer. He said, are you going to stone me? To which I replied, that would be great. He said, so I took out a handful of pebbles, because the Bible never specifies what type of uh, size of stone you need. He said, the man actually grabbed the stones from my hand and chucked them at my face. He said, I felt I had the right to retaliate, so I tossed a pebble at him, and in that way, I stoned a man. How great is that? Amen? Now, my guess is this, that none of us have uh, went off on a similar quest as he did trying to live a year biblically and failed epically, but uh, my guess is this, that every person in the room this morning, both Christian and non-Christian, understand and wrestle with feelings of spiritual inadequacy, where it seems, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get it right. My guess is some of you are there this morning. So let me invite you to take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn once again to the book of Matthew chapter 5 for the series, uh, best uh, sermon ever through the Sermon on the Mount. This is the sixth uh, message that we've been walking through this section of the Bible. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous uh, sermon. It is the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in the Bible. And in that for them, in the original audience, uh, it was profound wisdom Uh, He was teaching, they said, as one who has authority, he just, he said, hey, all the common wisdom of the culture, I'm going to show you they're not even close, and he raised the bar, and it's still uncommon wisdom over 2,000 years later. 
Uh, This morning we're going to look at uh, just a few verses, verses 17 uh, down through verse 20 in a message titled, uh, You're a Loser, and that's okay. Uh, It's just me, or is that title with the appetite? I'm looking at your faces, I think it's just me, all right? So uh, just just give me a chance this morning, all right? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and I think at some point the title makes sense, you'll actually be at peace with it, okay? So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, Jesus is speaking here, Uh, he just taught through the Beatitudes, verses 1 through 12, he just said, hey, take that righteousness and the Beatitudes, live it out in culture, even though they're not going to like it, verses 13 through 16, and then he begins to teach here in verse 17, and he says, "Uh, do not think that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For as surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass in the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you uh, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, reading through this section, Jesus uh, introduced the concept here. Uh, He begins to talk about the standard of of righteousness, which in their day uh, was known as the law. And then he teaches through this to say, here's what the law does, here's the purpose. And then he launches into six different ways where he uh, says this phrase, for I say unto you, he does that six times, starting in verse uh, 20 here, where he begins to raise the bar. And he says, hey, I know that you think the law is the highest standard of righteousness, but I say unto you, and he does that six uh, different times, uh, but here at this point, uh, the message of the law is what he's talking about. And the message of the law can be summed up uh, in the first and only point I want to develop this morning, uh, which is this. You are never going to measure up. You are never going to measure up spiritually. Uh, how encouraging is that today, right? It's like you're the live taping of Joel Osteen in concert, Right? You know, hey, how was your week? But, oh, it was terrible. I was so discouraged. And then I went to church and the pastor kicked me in the teeth. You should come with me next week. It was awesome, right? Like it just feels discouraging. Like we already feel that. We already struggle and wage war against that. And then you're coming in and reinforcing. Not only that, you're saying that's what Jesus is saying uh, on top of that. Now, but once you understand uh, what Jesus is teaching in these verses, it actually is quite uh, liberating because it offers a freedom from religion uh, that is, uh, the religion bounds us up, but, but this uh, teaches here, it offers a freedom from religion. So if that sounds good to you, would you just say amen this morning? Good, I'm excited about it. So let me walk you through the flow of the conversation. So Jesus has been talking, hey, here's righteousness. Here's how to live it out uh, in culture. And uh, when he talks about this standard of righteousness and the Beatitudes, he says, listen, perfection is not possible, but there should be a pattern and pursuit of these uh, attributes, these attitudes uh, in actions. Then go out in the culture, live that way. Culture is going to tempt you to not live that way. Uh, Some folks are going to come against you for living that way, verses 10, 11, 12. However, when you hold fast or preserve that standard of righteousness, you're like the salt of the earth. He says, you're like a light, uh, you're like a city on a hill, you're a light shining in the darkness, so you are my representatives, and your distinctness is what will make a difference uh, in the culture around you. Then I told you again in verse 21, he says, for you've heard it say, but I say unto you, six different times he raises the bar as it relates to righteousness, so tucked in there, are these little verses here, 17 uh, through 20, and uh, verses 17 through 20, he's referencing something uh, that they were incredibly familiar with. 
But my experience in teaching the Bible the last 15 years is that we're incredibly confused by and that something uh, is the law. Now, when I say the law as it relates to the Bible, when you hear someone talk about the law, uh, you usually drift to one of two places. If you don't know a lot about the Bible and, and you're just kind of checking this whole thing out, and so when someone says the law or, or maybe not a Bible scholar, uh, your mind really quickly uh, drifts to the Ten Commandments. Right? Like some of you right now, like Charleston Heston is coming down the mountain for the glory of God, right? And so when you think of the law, you're automatically assuming uh, that, that the Ten Commandments, that's what the law is. Now, if you've been a, a you know, student of the Bible, maybe you know a little beyond that, uh, you know that the first five books of the Bible are referred to as the law. You may also even know that section is called the Torah. And so that is where the law is contained, but that's not exactly uh, what we're describing here. What we're just talking about uh, is the Mosaic Law. And what its demands were on a person when it relates to righteousness. The law consisted of uh, 365 negative commands and uh, 248 positive commands for a total of 613 commands. And so if someone ever asks you and says, hey, isn't the Bible a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts? You say, well, there's a section uh, where that has 613. As a matter of fact, that's in the Old Testament. It was called the Mosaic Law. Mosaic law was divided into three parts. Uh, there was the moral part of the law, there was the social part of the law, and there was the ceremonial part of the law that governed uh, the worship that they were engaged in. Uh, so it covered every possible uh, area of life. So the Ten Commandments were a part of it, but from a percentage uh, perspective, they were only a very small part. Now, uh, obedience to the law is how Israel merited God's favor. Israel was God's chosen people. I don't know why, because God is sovereign. That's what Romans 9 to 11 says. And so they were God's chosen people. And so God said, I love you so much. I'm going to create a system where you and I can relate together in this covenant uh, relationship. And so the law occupied a huge place in the history of Israel. And so in this uh, mostly Jewish convert uh, audience that Jesus is speaking to, when he references back to the law, everybody in the room knew exactly what he was talking about. The scribes and the Pharisees that had gathered around, they, they were getting excited because they thought, finally, someone's going to validate what we've been uh, preaching all along. They were holding up all 613, reminding people, we're religious, we're spiritual, we're living all these out. You're not. You need to be more like us. And so here Jesus walks up and makes a reference to the law. And they're probably thinking, here we go, here we go, here it is. He's going to talk and he's going to reinforce uh, what we've been teaching all the time. But Jesus just basically says, uh, it's inadequate. It's completely uh, inadequate and yet they're making uh, all these sacrifices. Whenever they would violate the law, uh, they would have to go and make a sacrifice. They'd get a goat, or they'd get a you know, sheep. They'd, just, they'd bring it up, and they'd sacrifice. And basically, uh, they thought they could take the, their guilt and, and transfer that onto a, a goat uh, and, and then sacrifice it. By the way, a little side note, that's where we get the term scapegoat. That's where that term comes from. It's from the Old Testament sacrificial system where they would take the blame and put it on a goat and sacrifice. And basically... The whole purpose of the sacrificial system was just to say this. Hey, God, that there's 613 commands. I, I'm not even getting close. And so I want you to know I, I'm going to bring this, go to this you know, sheep, whatever the case is, and uh, I'm going I'm to just let you know how sorry I am. But here's the problem. How in the world can a dead animal appease God's wrath over sin? Especially in light of the fact that cats were not a part of their culture. Amen? 
By the way, if you're here and you're a guest, let me just say, we're a dog church. Can I get a witness this morning? Can I get a witness? I mean, how is that going to work? And then on top of that, there there was no end to it. It, It's just a never-ending system. Here's the standard. Pharisees around me tell me, you don't measure up. I'm aware I don't measure up. I'm going to go get a sheep. I'm going to get a goat, pigeon, all this. I'm going to give all this. It just, there was no end to it. They had to keep doing it over and over and over. That's why Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished, were so profound. Because the system they were in to appease God, there was no end to it. It was just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Jesus gets up and says, hey, listen, it's done. That's why the book of Hebrews chapter 7, if you know, the book of Hebrews is confusing. It references a lot of the Old Testament. We're not totally sure who wrote it. Some say Moses, some say Paul. The book of Hebrews is actually quite simple. It pictures Jesus. He's a better priest. He's a better prophet. He's a better king. It's a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. That's the whole book of Hebrews right there. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 27 says this. Unlike the other high priests, he does not offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Listen to this. He sacrificed, now now, can you put yourself in this audience, first century Jewish system, all you do is your grandparents raise goats, and other, why? So they could kill them, why? Because God was mad, but tell them we're sorry, just, that's all you knew. And then here's what Hebrews 7 says. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all. He offered himself. Now we have a tendency to say, hey, thank God that Jesus fixed that broken system But the problem is this, the words out of Jesus' mouth are a little contradictory at first glance. Look what he says in verses 17 through 18. Because we're thinking, hey, the law is, is gone. What's Jesus say though? Do you not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? Yeah, absolutely. Here's what he says though. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Uh oh. He's going to add to it. It's like there was 613. Now there's 6,000. Like, what does that mean? For surely, goes to reinforce it just in case they thought, you know, he's misspoke here, right? Here's what he says in verse 18. For surely, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, that, that's just a reference to a small portion, uh, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And so we got a problem. You can't measure up. You're not good enough. Here comes Jesus. Do away with that. Jesus said, hey, I'm here. I'm not destroying it. Matter of fact, I'm I'm raising the bar. All of a sudden, you and I have a spiritual problem at this point. And so how does this, does this negate everything about grace? Does this negate everything we've been uh, learning about in the gospel? And so, no, it just simply means what it means is this. Here's what this means, real simple. It means that you and I, we're not perfect But Jesus was, and when we receive him, his righteousness is credited to our account. And so we couldn't meet the demands of the law, and God knew that. And in his mercy, God sent his son Christ, who met all the demands of the law. And so I meet the law, I can fulfill the demands, not through me and my self-righteousness, but through Christ's righteousness, which has been credited to my account. That is the gospel of grace, and it's all of our hope here at Liberty Heights Church. It's everything. It's Jesus in the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's all him. And so it's exactly what, what he's saying there. So why don't we sacrifice animals anymore? 
Because Jesus fulfills that demand through his death on the cross. Why don't we observe dietary laws? Because Jesus uh, was simply pointing to a truth there that was all about a cleanliness when he said, hey, listen, Jesus is after a pure heart. And so those living under the cover of the law carried out a system of sacrifice, but Jesus came into it all and said, listen, you, can't, you cannot uh, improve. You see, our people still sinning, of course. Has God changed his mind that sin has to be atoned for? No. Is sacrificing an animal an option now that Jesus has come? No. And so what does that mean? That means you only have two options that your sins are paid for. You can either pay for them yourself or you can allow Jesus to pay for them and atone on behalf of your sins. But sin must be paid for in God's economy. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're here and you think that you know, you're not a Christian, you're kind of checking this out and, you know, it's, you know, and you're just trying to wrestle all this in your mind and you just say, hey, you know what, I, I'm a good person and, and good people uh, go to heaven. And what happens is how we live that way is we compare horizontally. You know, you're like, listen, I've got some imperfections, but it's not like I'm, you know, I'm not like Tasha, right? Like, is she in here? She's not here. Or I'm not, you know, I, I've got, I, I'm not a, you know, a spiritual person, but I've got this neighbor, they're really religious, and everyone can't stand them. Or what about that guy on TV, he got up and he took all that money from those people in the name of Christ, and, and I'm not here. The problem is this, what, what, what he's teaching here is this, is the measuring stick isn't horizontal, it's vertical. And what you're saying is, hey, uh, I'm better than Jesus. I don't need his righteousness in my account, because my own righteousness surpasses his And most people would not be so bold to say, hey, are you a good person? I'm better than Jesus. Like, I've never heard anyone say that, right? But when a person thinks they can get to heaven based on their own good life and their own good works, that's exactly what they're saying with their life. How good are you? I'm better than Jesus. I'm trusting in my righteousness instead of his. And the whole purpose of the law was just to rain down on people and go, hey, listen, you're not good enough. You don't have a hope of of fulfilling this. Now, you say, what well, isn't it on a scale of, you know, kind of, what well, so uh, listen, uh, 613, I don't even know all those, but, but let's just say I got a majority right, right? Let's just say that, that uh, 75%, I got those right, and so my good uh, outweighs my bad. He, here's the problem. The problem is, it's not more good than bad. The problem is, it's perfection or nothing. You say, I don't think that, that's not true. Look, look, listen, look at verse 20, what's he say? Look down at verse 20. For I say unto you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. What were the scribes and Pharisees preaching? They were preaching the law. So unless your personal righteousness is is better than all 613 commands of the law, if, if you can live that out to perfection, unless that's the case, what's he say in verse 20? You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. One commentator had this insight in verse 20. I thought it was fascinating. He said this. He said, Jesus' requirement for his people is nothing less than perfection. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were among the most zealous in the land. Jesus' criticism is not that they weren't good. He said, you're not, you're not good enough. And so verse 20 does not establish how the righteousness be gained. It just simply lays out the demand. Anything less than perfection does not enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. And I don't say this flippantly, or for shock value, I mean this in the most literal sense of the word. Those are damning words. 
Nothing less than perfection. Anything less will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what he's saying here is, how good do you have to be to get to heaven? The answer is, perfect. And you say, oh, I'm in trouble then. Trust me, the person next to you, they know you're in trouble then, all right? And so what's the, there's no hope then. There is no hope outside of Jesus. The whole purpose of the law wasn't to save a man. I'm going to grit my teeth and try harder and I messed up and here's a goat and here's a sheep and I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No, the whole purpose of the law was that I would come to a place and say, I can't. And God would look down in his mercy and say, you don't have to because he did. And we receive it by faith. And you will stand before God either dressed in your own righteousness or dressed in the righteousness given to you by Jesus when you receive him at salvation. But here's the bad news. God's already offered commentary on your righteousness. He described it as filthy rags. If we could reduce the law down to the Ten Commandments on just kind of a base morality, uh, listen, you, you still wouldn't be good enough. You'd still be a loser, right? And, and, and I've heard people say this, and maybe you're thinking this, and, or you've heard people say this, well, I, I, I think I'm going to heaven because I try to live out the Ten Commands, right? Uh, Ten Commandments is what I'm kind of governing, so I'm just, I think I'm getting pretty close. Now, let's just pretend that there weren't 613 laws in the Mosaic Law. Let's just pretend that the uh, Ten Commandments was the whole Mosaic Law. And if that's what you're hoping for, that, hey, I'm, I'm living out the Ten Commandments, let's just walk through those lists and stop once we hit one that we cannot fulfill. All right? So I don't even know where they're at. Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments is. Okay? So let's just start reading through. Here's the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, let, let me paraphrase that. Uh, I should be first place in your life at all times in every situation. Now, raise your hand if there's ever been a time where you did what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do. Would you just acknowledge that this morning? Now listen, if you're sitting next to someone and their hand is not raised, scoot over because they're getting ready to get swallowed up by a huge sinkhole for Jesus. Amen? <laughs> you and I can't even get through the first one. Now here's, here, here's how we justify that. We go, well, like nine out of ten is not bad. Or like I'm, I'm six, like the majority, six out, I think I'm good on six out of ten. Like I don't know where they are or what they're at, but I think I'm good, right? Well, listen to this, James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says this, Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. You see, the standard according to verse 20 was perfection. And he said, you got two options. You can be perfect or you can receive God's perfect son. There's nothing in the middle. That's it. Now, some of you think, hey, that, that's not fair. That's not, that, that's not even fair. There, there's a gap between me and God that is what you're telling me is incrossable. Like, that, that is not even fair. That God's demanding perfection. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, the state of the Pharisees, the law, um, you have to exceed that. You and I just acknowledge we can't even get through the first one. That's not fair. 
And I would totally agree were it not for the cross of Christ. Where God says, hey, you've got a problem. But the good news is, I've got the answer. And the cross bridges the gap between us and God. God is holy. He demands perfection. You and I can't get through the first step. But the cross is the bridge between God and me. Thank God for the cross. Because apart from it, there is no hope. You say, I don't know if that's fair or not. Let me just tell you this, nothing could be fair. Everybody gets in the same way, everyone is welcome, everybody comes to the same place. Nothing could be fair. But, let's just say for the sake of argument, let's just pretend that you, uh, you think, you know what, I, I think if I tried really hard, like I could, I could go 10 for 10 on the Ten Commandments. Like I think if I just you know, worked a little harder, um, let, let's just pretend for the sake of argument that um, you're, you're some kind of spiritual unicorn and you could bat a thousand, right? Now, some of you right now are looking at me like, Did he, is he just saying unicorns aren't real? Because I'm not coming back if it's what he's saying. Listen, here's the other problem. Even if you could, uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that meeting the Ten Commands is the path to heaven. A, you can't get to the first one. B, if you could bat a thousand, the Bible never says that's the path into eternal life. And so you're saying, let me get this straight. I, I, can't even, I can't meet the demands. I can't even get to the first one. Even if I could, I'm on the wrong path of self-righteousness. Uh, so what are my options then? What, what exactly are you saying? Listen, when it comes to salvation, you only have one option, and, but it's a good one. Uh, his name is Jesus. The Bible says this, that the gospel means that uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the law is raining down in its demands of your life saying, hey, you're not good enough. But Jesus all he was. And when I'm in him, that's how God sees me. And I'm not good enough, but he was, and I'm in him. And listen, I've got a whole new identity. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. But, the gospel is, not, it is about new life, not just preparation for death. So let me circle back to the promise I made you regarding the fact that accepting that you cannot measure up spiritually is actually uh, quite freeing. That's a big claim. It's because when you understand the law and the gospel, uh, you can finally quit trying to measure up to other people's approval because you don't need it because in Christ, you've already got God's approval. Uh, Matt Chandler, my absolute favorite uh, preacher to listen to, uh, said this. He said, your approval before God is woven into the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, not what other men and women uh, think about you. In other words, what he's saying is, you can finally uh, be okay that you don't measure up spiritually uh, because the reality is, uh, Jesus uh, gave you a whole new identity. And you're in him. Now, if you're listening, say Amen. The message of the cross for the unsaved is this. Quit trying so hard. The message of the cross for the saved is this. Quit trying so hard. Quit trying to measure up. Quit trying to create this new identity. 
And listen, if you're here and you're a slave to insecurity or you're an addict to approval, you don't need to see a psychologist. You don't need someone to speak affirming words in your life. You just need to get a hold of the power and the message of the cross in your life that God saved you, not only set you free from a past, gave you a future, but a whole new identity in the middle. I'm not the old me. I'm a new me. And it's better than I could have ever hoped. I'm not good enough, but he was, and I'm in him. And thank God for it. The problem is this. I think I pulled a hamstring out of what I'm saying. The problem is this. When we think of the cross, we look behind us and we're grateful. We look ahead and we're grateful. We don't understand its power of a new identity in the middle. So oh, I don't measure up. You don't, you don't have to. You say, tell me from the Bible. Listen to some of these verses that relates to new identity. Colossians 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Listen, listen to this. This is, this is so powerful. Verse 3. For you died to this life. I don't measure up, I don't listen. Dead. And your real life, the real you, is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Corinthians 2, 5.17 This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life's begun. Identity in Christ. I don't measure up. You don't have to. He did. You're in Him. You have a new identity. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. So I live in this earthly body by trying hard, by, by working. No, no, no. By trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what the law says? You're not good enough. The gospel says that Jesus was, and if you're in him, you have nothing to prove and nothing to hide. So quit living as if that were not true. Look up me. You know who you are. Look up. Stop it. Stop it. Stop living out of a false identity. Stop living as if you have to gain other people and God's approval and love. Stop it. Stop living as if you could create this identity that's more superior than the identity you have once you're in Christ. Stop it. Stop being a slave to other people's approval. Stop being an addict to acceptance. Why? Because the cross is you're already approved in Christ. You're already accepted. You've already got a new identity. That's not you. You know who you are in Christ. Stop it. Stop living under the old covenant where you had to perform to be accepted or appeased. Stop chopping down the cross. Stop it. The law says you're a loser. You're not good enough. Forget about trying to obey 613 commands. You couldn't get through the first one. And the gospel says that's okay because Jesus did and your identity is in him. 
Now, that's not the primary point of this passage, but it is certainly an application that we need to be reminded of because if we're not careful, our whole, you know, the gospel is all about Jesus was good for my past, he's good for my future, but in the meantime, I'm just feeling inadequate. I'm just feeling inadequate. Listen, you are inadequate. Get over it, accept it, and rest in the grace of God. That's the whole message of Jesus' teaching. Whole message. Now, here's the problem. Most of the time, we're living under bondage of some form of the law, some form of performance-based Christianity. We're not even aware of it. Like, I've never said, hey, how are you doing? And someone said, you know, I'm in bondage. I, like, I, that's never happened. But yet, lots of people here feel like they don't measure up spiritually. And so that's exactly what's happening. Now, how do I know that that's happening? Well, I need the Word of God. My own heart deceives me. Jeremiah 17, 9, of its true affections. So I need the Word of God to cut through all that, open up my heart so that I can see it clearly. You say, is that in the Bible? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Right? It cuts open my heart. Now, let me read to you a verse of Scripture and let it open your heart to find out if, in fact, you're living under some variant form of the law where you think you're not, you know, you're not trying to measure up, trying to measure Listen, or you're living in grace. Listen to this verse. Mouth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11. Let me ask you this. As you listen, listen with understanding. Uh, see if this describes your spiritual life. Okay? Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. You're like, that's, yeah. Okay, but listen. And I will give you work, a checklist. I will give you what? Rest. You know why there's rest in Jesus? Because I'm not trying to measure up anymore. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Learn what? Like, like what I should do? Like, learn. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, there it is again, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know what the law was? Heavy. You know what happens when I live out of a new identity and I'm walking in grace, not just saving grace, but living grace? You know what that's like? Light. You know why? I'm no longer trying to perform to earn God or anybody else's love. You know why? Because I'm accepted in Christ. And we understand saving grace. We don't have a clue about living grace. Now you say that, that listen, light burden, rest, that doesn't describe my life at all. Let me tell you what's happened. Somewhere along the way, even though you know better, you've hitched up your wagon to some kind of form of the law where you're still trying to perform to earn God's favor. And listen, let me give you two words this morning as wisdom. Stop it. Walk in the grace of God. Back in Galatians, Paul got furious at them. And Paul came against them very strongly because Galatians is about the gospel of grace. And Paul went to them and Paul said, hey, what's wrong with you? You got started off with grace. You got saved by grace. But now what you're telling these people is that when they come to Christ, uh, they, they, have, they couldn't let go of the Jewish parts of the law. And so they were telling these people, hey, you can come to Christ. But in addition to coming to Christ and receiving the gospel of grace, you also have to observe these uh, uh, rites. You also have to observe these dietary laws. You also have to observe these feasts and all these days. And so basically we're saying, hey, before you become a Christian, you've got to become Jewish. And Paul said, what in the world are you doing? Here's what Paul said. Paul said, you have fallen from grace. Now, when we hear the word fallen from grace, we think lose your salvation. That's not what he meant. He said, you got to start off in grace and you've fallen back. And now it's this mixture of law and grace. What's wrong with you? 
Foolish Galatians is what he said. And folks, that is, that is no way to live. Falling off a bike breaks some skin. Falling off a mechanical bull will break your arm. Falling on AstroTurf breaks Tony Romo's back. But falling from grace breaks a man's spirit under the crushing weight of legalism. Can I just speak these words over you? Listen, I'm out of time. Uh, did, did you know this? Jesus not only loves you, he actually likes you. And I'm not talking about some future improved version of you. I mean you. And love says, I've seen the ugly parts of you and I'm staying. You got saved? Your life's still a little jacked up? That's fine. Listen, in God's garden of grace, even a broken tree can bear fruit for the master. And I don't know about you, but this broken tree is incredibly encouraged by that. And I pray that you are too, because it was a broken tree that changed my life. And the cross will do the same thing in your life this morning. Would you bow your heads this morning? If you're here this morning and I were to ask you, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And your answer was, I hope so. Whether you realize it or not, you're trying to earn God's approval in your life. You're hoping that one day you'll stand before God and God will say, good enough. What Jesus taught here is, is we'll never, we'll never be good enough. If we were good enough, we wouldn't need the cross. And so if you're here this morning and you're hoping that your good life and belief in God will get you to heaven, you need to be saved. You need to accept Jesus Christ and His righteousness as your only hope of going to heaven. I'm not asking you to join a church, walk down an aisle, get baptized. I'm asking you, right where you're at, right in the quietness of your own heart, would you like to be saved today? Because you can be. And so if you're here this morning, that describes you. If this is the if this is what your heart desires, would you just join me in a prayer of salvation this morning? No magic words in this prayer just an expression of what's in your heart. Would you join me in a prayer of salvation? God, I realize today I'm not as good as Jesus. He was perfect and I'm not. And what that means is that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as payment for my sins. And so I receive him today by faith and I'm trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. Thank you for saving me. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you're here today and you prayed, and you prayed that prayer with me for the first time, would you just raise your hand and say, hey, that's me. I prayed that today and received Christ by faith today. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian a long time, but you still feel like you just can't measure up. And what God has exposed to you this morning 
is that even though you're saved by grace, you're not living by grace. It's some mixture of grace and the law. And you just want to come to the place where you're actually enjoying your salvation instead of enduring it. You want to experience living grace where Jesus is the beginning, the end, and everything in between. And His righteousness is all you need. And you want free from religion and all its demands. You say, Pastor, that's me. I desperately want that. Pray for me that I would walk forward. That. Anybody, amen. My hand's already up. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Just rip, I just want to pray for you. Lift up your hands. Say, hey, that's me. Pray for me. Amen. Anybody else? Let me just pray for you this morning. God, I pray for every hand that was raised. I pray for hands that should have been raised. God, I pray that you would uh, help those who acknowledge their need today to understand what it means to live by grace, to come to the place where they're not operating out of guilt or shame or some kind of performance. But God, they realize that they're not good enough, but they're okay because Christ was and they're in Him and they've got a whole new brain new identity. God, free them. Free them from the burden of religion. Free them from the bondage of being addicted to other people's approval and acceptance and let them come to the place where they're resting in grace and accepted in Christ, loved in Christ, approved in Christ. And so I pray that today what we've spoken from your word is a powerful, transforming truth for them. And they'd walk out of here changed by the power of grace. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you love us. Even though we're not perfect, you love us anyway with a perfect love. And his name is Jesus. So we celebrate today in his name. Amen.